What's going on, coaches? We're about to enter the playoffs here in Oklahoma. I know Coach Walls is already in the playoffs, so uh, hopefully you guys are, are coming up around that time. Hopefully you guys have a long playoff run. For some of you states that aren't playing football yet, hopefully you guys are right around the corner to playing some ball and, and getting your kids out there. Uh, if you guys need anything from us, you can find everything that we're doing right now at runthepower.com. We've got videos and we've got uh, lots of shirts and sweatshirts that we've seen on Twitter, a bunch of them uh, that we love getting to see out there. Uh, we've got, like I said, video, podcasts, um, summits from other coaches around the country, all that stuff over at runthepower.com. This episode of the RTP podcast is brought to you by our guys over at Just Play. The team at Just Play hooked us up with their product, as you guys know, uh, and it's been a game changer for us. If you've seen us on Twitter or uh, have talked to us about this at all, we obviously especially love the playbook tools that allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes, as you guys know, power, counter, inside zone, pin and pull, uh, and formations, so we can save time and be more productive. That's the biggest part. Saves time on defenses, saves time on, on inputting offensive uh, formations, and then easy to draw the play out. Just Play is a limited time offer for RTP listeners only. Get my Just Play Pro for $120, which is an unbelievable $60 off the normal list price. Uh, this offer has been extended uh, and won't last forever. You can get this deal at JustPlaySolutions.com RTP. The best playbook tool on the market at JustPlaySolutions.com RTP. Don't wait, go do it today. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to high schools around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program better. Right now, Team Builder is offering a 10-week off-season football training program with a two-a-day speed and agility program. This template even comes with videos from some of the top SEC strength coaches that will show you how to run your weight room. Visit their website and enter the code RTP to get the off-season football training template and start your 14-day completely free trial at teambuilder.com. Again, enter code RTP at teambuilder.com, which is teambuilder.com. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Elliot Ratton. Coach Ratton is the OC, offensive line coach at Alcorn State University in Alcorn, Mississippi. Listen, we talk with Coach about protecting your run game with some RPO choice concepts along with some deep choice concepts for your best wide receiver slash slot. You can follow Coach Ratton on Twitter at Coach Ratton, which is W-R-A-T-T-E-N. Hope you guys enjoy. So, you know, I was, I was a very average high school football player, uh, played O-line, knew I wanted to coach in some capacity, um, wasn't necessarily sure I wanted to go the D2, D3 route. I probably wasn't good enough to get, like, a ton of money. Um, so I went to Indiana University as a student assistant. Uh, I was there my first two years was Coach Lynch. He was the head coach, and Coach Canada was the offense coordinator. And then – uh, Indiana hired Coach Wilson, and um, I stayed on there his first two years um, as a student assistant working with the offense, and I think that was 2011, 2012. Um, graduated, was set to take a job at New Mexico State as a D-line GA. Our defensive GA left. 
So I got hired um, in 2013 to be the defensive line GA at Indiana. So I did that for, for three years. Um, you know, my time was up. Um, one of my best friends, he'd been the O-line GA. He was down at Alcorn. And um, they had a spot open up to coach tight ends. So I went down there in March of 2016, coached tight ends my first three years. Um, he left to go to Southern Miss last year. And I got promoted last year before, before last season to be the, the offense coordinator and the offensive line coach. Um, so now I'm going into my second season as the OC and the line coach here at Alcorn. And I guess this will be my fifth year. What, when you were at Indiana, I think we had a, a podcast guest that was probably a part of that staff, um, Carter Whitson. Was there a guy named Carter Whitson there? There was. That's one of my best friends. I was actually just texting him before we got on, and, you know, he just got a job over there back in Oklahoma City. Yep. Uh, but, you know, yeah, he's one of my good friends. We, we were there together, I guess, five years before, before I left to come to Alcorn. That's funny. That's that's a small world. I remember watching him play uh, when I was a little kid because he went to the same high school as I do as I did. And now that I coach at, uh, then we got to reconnect with him. And and obviously, yeah, he moved back here to Oklahoma to be a head coach again after you know crushing it in Indiana in high school. So um, kind of a small world. So with uh, I believe you said uh, Canada was your was your OC. I, I think kind of when at, at first when you were first there at Indiana. Um, when I think of, of that kind of offense, you know, at least recently, we think, I think of the Matt Canada stuff being a lot of, of motions under center um, and kind of handing off that jet, jet sweep under center uh, or handing off, you know, inside zone, whatever play they have uh, doubled up with it. Did you, do you guys do that at all? Did you bring that at all as, as when you became the OC? Or are you guys uh, fairly different from that? We're, we're fairly different from that now, like a lot of, cause I was so young at that point, you know, I was still trying to figure out what, you know, my first fall, I really spent time like stuffing envelopes and, you know, doing a lot of stuff on the recruiting side. And then that last spring and that last year he was there was when I got to do a lot of, a lot more of the football stuff. Um, a lot of what we do is based off what we did with Indiana with coach Wilson and, and some of those guys that were there. We take a lot, you know, a lot of what we do comes from kind of that tree. Coach, I know you guys have been one of the more explosive offenses, you know, especially in the, the SWAC. You guys have been able to run the ball, and, and you've also had, you know, really good quarterbacks and, and moved it through the air. You know, talk a little bit about kind of, you know, how you set up your offense, you know, being an O-line coach, but also along the same lines of, you know, being able to develop and, and be pretty QB friendly from what it looks like. Sure. So, you know, my, you know, the first couple of years we were here, we were running for close to 300 a game. I think a couple of years we led the country in yards per carry. Um, you know, it was a lot of RPOs, QB run game. Um, we've had a bunch of really good tailbacks, no linemen. Um, and then when I took over last year, we had a kid who was going to, he was the preseason SWAC player of the year quarterback. So in 2018, he ran for 2000 or he threw for 2000 ran for a thousand and we had an all-american tailback back and we had a good group back up front um you know i was i'm coming and thinking you know we're gonna we're gonna hit close to that 300 yard a game mark and and really be rolling and you know it was a lot of quarterback run getting him on the perimeter with some split zone arc and and rpo and because that kid was he was a good quarterback and but you know his he was most weeks when we walked out there the best athlete on the field um and even the kid before him was very talented, Lenore Spokeman. He could 
he ran he ran it like a tailback, and he was one of the better quarterbacks I feel like I've been around with in terms of being able to throw it and run it. Um, and then, so long story short, um, the kid last year, Noah, he got hurt week three against McNeese, and he's out for the season. And so the the backup kid, um, his name's Felix Sharper. He's about five ten, one hundred and seventy pounds. So he's a, he's a little guy. <laughs> yeah. He throws it well. Um, and he run, he runs okay, but is you know when I say he's five ten and one hundred and seventy pounds, that's I'm promised I'm not adding an inch or adding a pound to that. Um, you know he's a little guy, um, and so we kind of transitioned to throwing a, a little bit more with him, a lot more. We he threw for just under three thousand yards last year, and he didn't start till week four. Um, so you know we had to transition a little bit and. You know, as far as we had to come up with some different answers every week, you know, it's easy when you get one high and you can run the quarterback. And now we were starting to get some different things of where we weren't going to run the quarterback necessarily until later in the year. And so that really had, you know, we had to change some answers to how we were getting to some things. So we, we didn't run for as much, but we were able to throw the ball really efficiently. I think we're throwing for a little over eight in attempt, which – was kind of what we said coming in the last season needed to be our magic number to really feel like we could throw the ball and be efficient at it. A couple things, Coach, you know, that I think, you know, when you start to talk Q runs, so again, you know, you, you already kind of mentioned the, you know, the, the thing that everybody's worried about. I know we've had some super athletic QBs, you know, what happens if the guy does go down? So, you know, when you're kind of game planning for that, you know, maybe on a weekly basis, what's maybe kind of your magic number or touches or again, you know, I'm sure it, it fluctuates a little bit week to week, depending on, you know, who you're facing, what kind of defense it is, but you know, what's kind of that sweet spot you're thinking for, for QB runs. And then my second question, you know, when you do get the backup guy and he's five eleven, what are some of those changes you got to make? You know, probably not, you know, a guy that can sit back in the pocket and see over the top of guys, you know, maybe you got to move him around a little bit or do some things. I'm always interested to hear that too, because, you know, that, that's, that's life for us every single year as a, as a high school coach. Yeah, you know, when we, had, when we had Noah, we didn't really put a magic number on it. Now, where, where our magic number came on was he was about a six-foot kid, very, you know, he was a rocked-up kid, and um, it was a certain number of inside-the-tackles runs. You know, we only would call four or five power reads a game where we felt like he might have to keep it up the middle. Um, some of the stuff where we were going zone read and split zone wrap, um, we didn't really have a number on that. That was more predicated on what the defensive end was doing. You know, if we couldn't get it kicked when we were running split zone, that's when it was time to come arc now and, and get him out on the perimeter because, um, you know, those hits inside are just so much different for those kids. You know, like those are grown men in there and you're getting your thigh shots. But when those kids get out on the perimeter, they can get down, they get out of bounds. Um, so that was kind of, you know, that was the biggest thing for us. Is it wasn't necessarily how many times Noah was going to carry the ball. And even some of the younger guys we have that can run the ball here, it won't be how many times they can run. It's how many times are we willing to, to run him up the middle like a tailback. Because um, I think, like, I mean, you only have so many of those kids, and whether it's high school or even for us, you know, um, so kind of our answers were, as we transitioned to Felix, you know, we were, we were going to RPO more and get a little bit different in our RPO world. And then the biggest thing is we had to throw the ball vertical to back those guys up and get, a, get an honest box. You know, we're, 
we'd been a huge outside zone team in the past um, and just was, with a little bit different tailback, we, our bread and butter last year was really inside zone and power and counter. Um, and so we, you know, we'd throw some of our RPOs off it. And the biggest thing is we figured out, you know, people were doing some stuff to us to make you throw the RPO, but it was into a bad defensive look. So we've kind of changed um, where if they want to get the seventh defender to force us to throw it when we're in 11, is we'll let the receivers kind of tell us what route we're running. That way we don't get stuck, you know, hey, we're calling this RPO. Well, they make you throw it into a bad pass game look. Um, that was the biggest change we made last year because we knew we were going to have to throw the ball to get those guys out and get a true, you know, a true clean box. So is that something that they could just – that you guys worked a bunch in practice and, and quarterback and receivers were on the same page? Um, and so they just understood that certain looks, hey, it might be a glance post, but if the corner is sitting way, you know, heavy inside, we're going to have a deep out. Uh, it, it was something like that where you guys just worked that and and the look that you guys were getting in, in practice. And so then in the game, it wasn't even necessarily a call with your quarterback. Your guys just were converting on on what they saw. Kind of. So what we would do with it is we would we would say inside zone. And then we would tell the receivers, you're calling it. Gotcha. Um, or you're calling it. So that way – and then we – based on the week, we were able to give them some parameters. Like if we have this look, call this. If we have this look, call this. So most weeks I would say right now, like on my board in my office, we have five different things. Most weeks I would say we would probably practice two to three that we really felt like we were going to see. Um, and that's something like every day when we had normal down – team against our defense that was getting called at least twice just so we could see every look and if we did come out in a given week and they come out and show us something that we hadn't seen we could communicate that so you know it gave the one thing I liked there's a couple things I liked about it it gave the kids some ownership and like hey um this is mm -hmm. what we're doing you know especially the receivers when they say hey we're doing this they're gonna they're really good at I was skeptical at first um, but they're really good at, you know, they're going to call routes so that way they can have success and have big plays and not get their head knocked off. Um, yeah, they want to catch the ball. <laughs> that's right. And especially those inside guys, they don't want to go over the middle and get their head knocked off. So, you know, and that's what they do. You know, they spend their whole time running routes off bodies. And, and um, so we had, we had some good success with it. We've spent, you know, a bunch of the off season kind of helping clean it up with some different things and, making sure we have answers. And I think the biggest thing is it just gives us the ability to not be one play behind in the RPOs where you kind of got to guess, you know, it, well, it could be two or three looks. I'm going to call this one. Um, we're going to go out there, get lined up, see what it is. And, you know, the receivers would say, hey, this is what we're running. And then the quarterback's job is, you know, we tell him he's got to read the seventh defender. And the, just the general rule we give him is, can that guy tackle it for six or less? If he can, the ball needs to get out. If he can't tackle it for six or less, you better hand that thing off. So is, is that something that you're only able to work in team? I mean, have you guys found a creative way to use it in seven-on-seven seven or an inside run? Or um, is working RPOs uh, as a group or as a competition the only way you guys uh, really have found to do it is, is in team? We do a bunch of it in team, but we do it in, in routes on air, too. Um, they'll gotcha. get out and they'll, they'll give them, you know, 
the, our, our receiver coach and the quarterback coach, they'll give them a shell look. And sometimes, like, especially during the week, they'll bring the scout team over and just give those couple guys and give them a shell look. That way they can see it, call it. Uh, if I call, if we did that in Skelly, they'd, the defense coach would be mad at me if we handed that ball. <laughs> sometimes it's fun to do that, though. I, they the, they wouldn't find it funny, but when we, were, when we were at Indiana, I swear, coach would call a boot once a day and inside run. That was yeah, that was a like a Bob Stoops thing from when you know Wilson was there. I I, I listened to Bob Stoops talking, and, and he loved it. You know, he's a defensive guy. He said every every day in inside run, he wanted the offensive coordinator to call a boot because he wanted his guys to play it legit. Otherwise, he felt like, why are we doing inside run? We should just do team then. That's right, and I, you know, I haven't done we we do inside once a week right now. Um, if we did it twice a week, I would for sure be throwing that in there. Um, and honestly, I don't think the defense would mind too much on that because sometimes those guys in inside run, those backers are standing there about three yards, and I'm like, this isn't even. <laughs> this exactly isn't right. So, Coach, when you when you transition into having the really short quarterback, um, did you have to change up how you guys were pass protecting to help him out? I mean, is there is there different protections you have to call? Do you have to start short setting a lot more uh, to try to give him a little more, you know, space back there to be able to see? Was there anything you had to change with what you did up front when you started getting into that shorter stature guy? We, it didn't end up being a ton because the starter, you know, the starter was a six-foot guy. Um, we had to get a little bit – one thing we did do, I guess, to kind of – he moves around a lot, and it's kind of on his own. Um, we practice scramble drill every day to start our, our tempo period. So um, the way we do our tempo period, you know, I'll call a play from the sideline, we'll take the field, and the first play is always a pass. And every single day he'll practice scramble drill. Um, and so we practiced a lot. Like that was something we hit five, six times a week was working scramble drill. But I try, you know, I always try and see what we can marry up in the past game to jump set and, you know, get hands down. Um, but, you know, not a ton changed. He does a really good job moving around back there. I've asked the different quarterback guys. I'm like, Dude. And because that was always my deal. Like if he's a short guy, like do we need to do something? And our quarterback coach last year, Pat White, was like, he can see it. He's, you know, he doesn't have too many issues. Um, one thing we did work a lot of was some drills where those hands went up and we were taking shots to get those hands down. We would work that about once a week on Thursdays, just kind of on a low-impact day, um, having a D lineman fitted up on them and just giving pressure. And then as soon as they felt pressure release, taking a shot to get hands down. Um, but as far as actual protections, we didn't – we didn't change a bunch of it. Coach, I'm curious too, you know, you said you, you guys needed to, to throw it deep. Um, I'm, I'm curious, is that something you guys had kind of, you know, married up, you know, with, with the RPO, you'll see a lot of, you know, the 10 and 11 personnel teams now, you know, have maybe a, a read side RPO and then they're going to put some sort of, you know, man concept or, you know, a slot fade, something like that back to the field. Uh, was that something you guys did or was it something that's like, you know what, hey, it's just going to be called shots or it's going to be check shots, you know, when, when you're seeing something maybe from the box or your buddy is, and, and you guys are like, man, we need to back them up off of us. Let's, let's crank this. What, what was kind of your, your, your thoughts and, and game planning for, you know, how you throw it deep? 
Yeah, no, so that's 100% a part of what we're doing. Um, the biggest thing is, you know, we, we run a lot of the deep choice package, um, you know, that you've seen Baylor and UCF and mm -hmm. Iowa State and those for years. Um, and the big thing we've tied into it is like in the RPO world, when that nickel starts getting tight to the box, um, that gives us some ability to throw that deep choice off, the, off your safety because we know we're getting free access to it. So the RPOs are great, but it also means if we run the deep choice off with the slot that we should be able to run that with easy access into that safety. Um, so that was something we knew when we saw that nickel getting tight, yeah, the RPO is good, but also the vertical, the vertical was going to be great out there. Um, and that was one of our adjustments, especially as the year went on. Of if we wanted to try and get that nickel out, we were going to let them, we were going to let our slot run one-on-one -on -one with the safety. And we, we were very efficient and had a lot of explosive plays throwing our slot deep choice. Was that kind of the same 10 yard rule you teach? You know, it's a race to 10. If he doesn't have it, he's, he's back down his stem. Uh, how do you guys kind of teach your, your deep choice? I'm always curious to hear that. We make, we make our decision at 12 on the outside and then uh, they're racing back down their stem. And then the inside guy, he's got the option based on the safety of whether he's going to break across the space or if it, it, obviously if we get a man free or one high look, they'll turn into a slot fade. Um, but he's making his decision at 12 as well. So he's either running post or slot fade? Post or slot fade. And sometimes it could be, um, you know, a hard, hard bender too. Okay, I got you. So he's got like inside leverage. He can't run post. He's just going to bend it like a dig almost. I got you. Yeah. So he's just running the angle away from it. That's awesome. That's really good stuff. And, and you know, last year was my first year – running any of that and we, we spent a bunch of time on it and i i loved it you know and the kids they really took to it and we kept throwing kept throwing we didn't actually put that in until last summer um and i just i mean it, it's so i don't want to say it's easy but it makes so much sense of you get to run where your grass is is that something that i mean if you so you had you know run play called or something like that does the quarterback then check you know to a six-man protection so so you guys are, are all matched up how does he kind of i guess you know is it something you're checking to or is it something hey we just leave the run on and we're cranking it that was something we would check to um okay. you know and that was something we would check to that's something we talked we've been talking about this off season of how do we when we get that look because we we used to look over every play we we kind of stopped doing that because you got so many people that you know are moving and checking their front fronts and their defense, um, you know, one thing we've kind of talked about doing is maybe having the quarterback when he sees that look, that could be advantageous to look over and, and maybe checking it that way um, was something we kind of talked about doing and getting to. Um, Coach, how do, you, how do you first start learning about all this as an offensive line guy, as a defensive line guy, tight ends and, and – now you're in a position where you get to call the entire offense. You know the pass game. You're teaching, you know, choice routes, all this, which, which I know obviously it's just, you know, you put in a lot of time, a lot of years. But what – how did you start making that decision? Hey, I want to start learning this part of the offense. I think, you know, just talking personally or, you know, selfishly, me, I start thinking as an offensive line coach and, and I'm starting to feel comfortable with offensive line. And then I see this daunting task of – 
pass game and then coverages and then just learning the pass game seems difficult. Then why do we call certain passes? How did you start getting into that so you could get to the situation that you're at now? Well, I think the best thing, the two best things that ever happened to me, one was coaching defense. So I had a, a way better understanding of what was going on. Um, I thought I knew defense, and then I moved over to defense, and I realized I didn't know anything about defense in comparison. Um, and then the second thing I thought was coaching the tight ends, because I was for, and I was an O-line guy coaching the tight ends. You know, my best friend who was in my wedding was the O-line coach, and, mm-hmm. you know, we were down there all day and draw up runs and talk about how we're going to handle this and handle that. And, um, you know, that, those were the two best things that happened to me. So I felt very comfortable in the run game. Um, and then our receivers coach, he, he'd been a coordinator before. And, you know, he came in and we were able to start talking through some things. And, and obviously I had a knowledge of what was going on in the past game, but I really leaned on him. Truthfully, I leaned on him a lot to point me in the right direction of when to call it, what to look for. Um, you know, and w- the way we've kind of built our offense is we know what our responses are to everything. So if we say the nickel's getting tight to the box in the run game, I know right now that we can throw our slot deep choice. Um, we run cross. We run cross. We ran cross over a hundred times last year, which you know is kind of a catch-all. Um, Hell yeah. It, it's, we could throw, I could throw that for days. We called it 16 times in one game last year. Um, <laughs> I love it. And we threw for a lot. We threw for 400 that week. Um, but, you know, the biggest thing was leaning on those guys. And, you know, because I, I, I didn't want to be the O-line guy calling passes and just, hey, what, what, what should we – I wanted to have the ownership of it. And right. I had to walk upstairs to his office. And he's a quarterback guy. Um, so, you know, he obviously has input too. Um, but I spent a lot of time on when do we want to call this? You know, we spent a lot of time talking as a group and there would be times where I would say, do we want this or this? You know, I would give him a heads up if I wasn't seeing it because I call it from the field right now. Um, and so there would be times like, hey, do we want – I would kind of give him like, hey, do we want cross or do we want scissors? And he could, you know, he would say it based off of what he had been seeing upstairs. So that's how, and as the year went on, I got a lot more comfortable at kind of being able to put my eyes where they're supposed to be. Um, Because I feel like we have a bunch of quarterback and receiver guys running around this place now. Um, (laughs) And which is great. You guys would be fine if we were just five-man pass throwing and dropping back. Um, So. Oh, yeah, that's their favorite. Uh, I promise our head coach's favorite deal, he would not care if we were five-man pass. If they're bringing pressure, he wouldn't care in the world if we we went five-man to get the ball out because that's what he liked when he played. LSU just won a national title, do it, Harper. That's right. <laughs> that's right. I don't, I, I'm not sure if they're, how their O-line coach slept at night, but they won games. <laughs> Yeah, and so and when we did, and, and, and in all seriousness, when we did make the decision that we were going to do a bunch of five-man pass pro, we put in, you know, the squeezes and the MDMs and all the adjustments with it, and we, you know, we worked the hell out of it. Um, you know, part of me, too, in the past game, to go back to your question, is we, we couldn't have too much because I, I told him, guys, I'm not smart enough to, to think about all this stuff yet. I don't know that anyone really is when you – I mean, when you watch – LSU, there's not a million things going on. Mm-mm. You know, 
a few things they're really good at it and they have their responses to it and that's where we kind of built our deal is we were going to have our we're going to have our base package and then we were going to have our responses off it because it's that's more how i think about things yeah i think that's the the only way you can really do it as as a play caller and i you know i just like you know i like how you have it compartmentalized you know it's it's kind of those little mini if then statements in your head you know hey we're going to come out throwing throwing this pitch or play you know, running this run. If they can't stop inside zone, hey man, it's going to be a fun night. Well, now they've taken inside zone away. Let's let's wrap and run the QB. That's our our changeup. Or hey, they're going to play the nickel tight or the the bandit safety down low. Here's going to be our calls off of it. I mean, it's just it, it's so fun as a play caller when you kind of already you know thought out my game plan. I know what they're going to try to take away, and then I know I have those answers. You know, Harper said it. You know, how do you sleep at night? that's how you sleep at night. You know, you kind of have that mini plan in your head, you know, to, to go on. And then, you know, Hey, if the plan doesn't work, there's a good chance that it wasn't your day or the other team was really, really good. And honestly, I, I can still probably live with that too. For sure. And you know, the, you know, the biggest thing that I can't sleep at night is if I feel like it's a personnel deal, cause I don't really, you know, you don't always have answers. <laughs> no. <laughs> what if your technique kicks the right guards, but like, well, I don't, you know, I don't have answers for that. You know, you can, you can try, but you know, that, those are the things that, you know, make you, make you lose sleep. And, you know, early on in the year, truthfully too, I, we had too much on the play call sheet, especially when we were, you know, we were running triple and power read and had all these unbalanced formations and some stuff off of it. And it was, you know, it was overwhelming because you're like, I got to get to this. I got to get to that. And, you know, we're going to have our wrinkles every week, but I, I learned early on, you don't need to have 5,000 things on there because otherwise you're just going to feel like you got to get to it instead of calling plays and seeing responses. Yeah. I, I think when you got way too much stuff on there, you're, you're absolutely correct. You know, get, keep, keep it, keep it to three to four plays per, you know, whatever formation you have. And then again, you might have a, a few unscouted things, but even then I always felt like I, I didn't get to enough of that either. So it's like, well, why did I waste all the practice time this week doing it? A hundred percent, you know, and you know, you can always have your slide adjust, like there are different variations on the inside zone. I don't even, I mean, I put them on the call sheet, but that doesn't clutter my mind. If we have inside zone, outside zone, power, counter, duo, and pin and pull on there, I would lose my mind every week. You can't have, I mean, I know some guys do, I'm just not, you know, I'm not comfortable with that. How have you? How have you guys gone gone with pin and pull uh, and and kind of your your? I don't want you to give away everything, but kind of how you you teach that up front. Um, pin and pull to me is you know we used to run it really really well last year. We were terrible with it. Um, we've had a bunch of different variations, um, but you know it seems like you got to you you know it seems like you got to run it a, at a decent uh, amount of times in a game for it to really kind of pop, at least for us, it has been that way. Um, I guess not how do you coach it, but what are your thoughts about going into a game with pin and pull? Is that something you're going to bring into every front? Are you looking for, you know, optimum fronts to run pin and pull? Uh, how have you guys been with, with pin pull scheme? Well, we didn't run it last year. And part of it was because I feel we see a lot of moving fronts. Um, you know, we'll play some team like we play Grambling, who's a three-three stack, and bringing five every play. Um, we play Southern, who was slanting and angling every play out of two threes. Uh, 
so that wasn't something we carried every week and you know we were really good at it when we were at Indiana and you know when we saw base looks where we could you know it was kind of what we wanted it against um and that's kind of we talked about it you know mm. carrying it um I think that's one of those things you really got to practice and get good at that's not something I really wanted to dabble in so much if, if we were going to do it I just don't feel like necessarily what we see every week in our league that I want to put the time into it to figure out hey are we going to get it this week like if we run it in two games in a year I don't I don't know that the investment's necessarily there for us but it's one of it's been one of my favorite plays. We just – we don't see a ton of defensive looks that I think are advantageous for it. Okay, that's kind of what I fell into a little bit more this year as well. Um, and we didn't have as, as athletic a lineman, but um, it was just so many moving parts and, and our guys just, you know, big. And we didn't run it much this year, but it was something that I look at and, and start kicking myself because I can look at two years in the past where we've run it so well. Um, but – you know, we're, we're really poor with it this year. Okay, so here's my other big question for you. Um, and it's, uh, you know, whatever. But inside zone and, and duo, what makes you want to call one versus the other? Um, because as, as a simple offensive line mind uh, like me and in high school, I, I know I get that duo, you'd call duo right or inside zone left. But to me, those kind of bang to the same spot. Uh, and for the most part, you're blocking similar people, if not the same people. What makes you call one opposed to the other? Well, this will be our first year of doing that. You know, I looked okay. into it last year. It's not something I had ever run before. Um, and our, our receivers coach, he had run it when he was a coordinator. Um, so I had to, as a full disclaimer, I haven't called one snap a duo yet. It was going to be called in spring ball. Um, <laughs> okay. But, you know, to me, it's uh, for duo, I like getting those double teams. I, I think it's a good chance to change up who we're reading, you know, to let that tailback read that first backer in the box. Um, we're inside zone. He's, he, you know, he's reading, he's chasing the center's ass. Um, but I really like the thought of being able to get those double teams um, and staying at them forever. Because I think with, you know, just kind of what we got personnel wise, we got some bigger we got some big guards. We're big inside. Um, and I think if we get a chance to hang on some of those double teams, we can move some folks around. Um, you know, I think it's kind of an attitude play, and we can move some of those guys and, and impose our will on some folks. And, you know, inside zone's kind of our bread and butter where we have some different responses to the defensive ends and our RPO in. Um, so, I mean – it's going to be a little bit of feel to see how we do with it. You know, I've installed it. We've had Zoom meetings. We've talked about it. Um, but we, ha we haven't actually run it against, you know, a defense yet. Sure. Well, you mentioned having, having the big guards. Is, is that something, and, and I know you've, you know, been there for a few years now. Is that something that you guys recruit to have uh, big, you know, mauler type guards and, and go after bigger tackles? Um, as an O-line guy, are you trying to recruit five tackles and then finding where they're going to go on your offensive line? What's your thought process when, when you're going out uh, trying to get kids uh, to come? You know, the, the tackles, my biggest deal is having um, – the first thing is athleticism and will they stick their face on you. Um, I'll take the best available at tackle because I just think they're so hard to find good tackles. Um, you know, we don't have a bunch of 6'5 kids running around. We have some 6'2", 6'3 kids. Uh, 
at tackle. Uh, in a perfect world, I've, I've always just been around the, the lean athletic guys because they can do so much. Um, and then inside, that's just kind of what, you know, those were the best available guys. You know, to me, my biggest deal is finding the best available football players. Now, obviously, there's going to be some height and weight deals on them, but, you know, I have no problem taking a six-foot, six-one kid that's really mean um, and can do everything we need to, you know, haven't been in this league for a minute, you know, I haven't, you know, there's a bunch of really good players, but if you get hung up on, Hey, I need the six, six kid. Well, that's great. But what, what are we playing against every week? You know? And so I'm right. our kind of, our, we've been in the last few years is taking the best available we've had up front. Um, you know, I'm not, I don't get too hung up on height, especially the one thing I like to look at too, is the wingspan on some of these guys. Um, you know, I think sometimes, you know, if you get that 6'6 guy that in FCS, you know, it's they might not necessarily be able to bend or they might not be as mean as you'd like it. So I want the best football player. And then, you know, you try and fit him into some certain boxes. But, you know, I'm not, oh, he's 6'2 and he's not 6'3. Well, he's a really good football player. I'm going to take him. You know, our left tackle last year, he was an HBCU All-American. He's 6'2", 285 pounds, and he's extremely athletic. And, you know, he, he was awesome. You know, honestly, if he, he hadn't been hurt a couple times during his career, just with some different wrists and different things, he'd probably be getting a shot somewhere. He could probably move inside and play, but he was never able to hit the weight room like he needed to just because he had, he had two or three wrist surgeries, you know. I got you, yeah. Um, and, and so then what are you looking for – um, when you get, you know, when you're looking for a center, uh, is your center, is that going to be your smartest guy? Uh, are you, are you having, you know, special meetings with your center? Are you guys putting a bunch on them? Uh, or are you a, you know, my tackle's got to be my smartest guy. I've seen, you know, obviously a thousand different ways to do it, but, uh, most of the time anyways, it's like, Hey, we've got a smart center. He does it all. Or we've got a good, you know, an intelligent center, but our tackles are also really tuned in and they're making calls into the center. Uh, our center's got to be our smartest guy. Um, and he is, we, we, we have a couple good ones. You know, we, we let him point and ID something every play. Um, sometimes it, you know, it doesn't mean anything, but he's going to point and ID some stuff, you know, and everyone, if we can count off that and if we can, if they can understand the front that he calls, and understand, do I have one past the point? Do I have the point? Or do I have two past the point? They can, they can fall in line. You know, they, they'll make some calls if whether we have some edge pressures um, and some different things. But, you know, by far, our center's got to be the smartest guy and, and the best, the, by far the best communicator. You know, everyone else has to make their, their calls. But, um, you know, that was something that was a little bit new for me. We hadn't necessarily pointed an ID before here. And we transitioned to it last year, and what it, it was extremely beneficial. I thought it just tied in the whole run game, whether we had, you know, whether we were in 20 personnel, 11 personnel, or 12, everyone could – you could build everything off the point. Um, and then to answer your other question, I do do special meetings with the centers. Um, that was usually my Thursday routine. So we'd get through the week, and, you know, I would meet with them sometimes after um, – but Thursday was kind of an hour, hour and 10-minute meeting just with the centers in there. And it was relaxed, but we would go through, like, making sure they see the front how I see it. 
you know, some things like say on power read, we might push our count one, you know, like, Hey, if they come out in this, make sure we're IDing. you know, mm-hmm. if he's even box for IDing it that week, um, you know, we, we ask him to see a little bit of rotation, you know, not crazy, but I think, you know, those kids do see a lot and you could see one, you know, Hey, that guy's got someone standing behind them. Let's go ahead and push our, push our count one and pass pro that way we can account for him. Um, you know, so I think we ask a fair amount of them. You know, the biggest thing is they just got to understand the differences in who we're IDing on any given play. Um, but that was something that we, I kind of adapted to and we implemented as the year went on. And it, when you have that, in our offense at least, when you had that kid that was pointing and getting everyone on the same page, it, it was just – it made my life so much easier. Um, you know, and it did take the extra time with him, but, you know, they really soaked it up. And, you know, the, the best part was, you know, you'd get out there on any given week and there'd be something new and he was already able, you know, that I felt like that I had an extension of me out there most of the time. Coach, kind of shifting gears a little bit, you know, working for a head coach, you know, like, like Coach McNair, who's, who's been there, you know, literally, you know, almost kind of his whole life, you know, played there, had been an assistant there, and now the head coach, you know, talk a little bit about kind of what it's like to, you know, work for a guy who's kind of that, you know, in tune with not only the university, but, you know, the, the state, the, the community, and, and, and just all those things that kind of go into, you know, just beyond, you know, just the football program there at, at Alcorn. It, you know, it's really awesome to have a guy that, you know, has been here, you know, he played here. Obviously, his brother Steve played here. He had another brother, Tim, that played here. Um, his son plays for us. His nephew plays for us. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely a family affair. But, you know, he understands what we need. Um, he understands. He's able to help guide us in recruiting as far as, you know, what's going to be a fit for us. Um, and then you just got a guy who, you know, he can go around campus and get the stuff we need if we need something. You know, that's a huge deal, you know, because a lot of these you see, you look around campus at all the different offices, there's alumni working everywhere. Um, you know, when we're when we need to get something, he's able to get it done because he has relationships. Not that he's calling in favors, but you know, he has you know, he has relationships with these people. Um, and then obviously in the state, you know, he's it's a big name. The McNair name's a big name, and you know, a lot of people have a lot of respect for his family. They've been a bunch of good football players obviously they you know he was and I don't know if you guys even know but he was actually air one McNair um mm-hmm. you know and he he had a great career and you know he he understands that you know the value for our kids you know he can sit there and say like hey I went to school here my family's went to school here we we made it you know we we played professional football um you know I have two degrees from the school he's walked in their shoes quite literally um, it's it's really a cool thing, Coach. With with Power Read, are are you asking your guard to read the defensive end when he pulls? I, I think that's the big one that I always want to know about Power Read. Uh, I've had a coach ask us to do that. We didn't do Power Read very much, and we were never any good at it. And then I've heard a lot of the high school coaches just say they're going to pull and they're going to be tight, and we run into the end. We don't, but. Um, you know, then you have the coaches that I, that I think, you know, maybe run power read a lot that say they're going to read the end and know that they teach their guard that if the end is spilling heavy inside, then we're going to be outside the end. That way we can get to the linebacker that's going to scrape over the top. The end plays wide. 
we're going to be inside of them because we know it's going to be a keep and power. What are you guys teaching that guard as he pulls around? We do not teach him to to touch that. And, and, you know, I know I've seen some people, especially during all this time, I've been able to listen to some folks on it. Um, right. We're bypassing 100% working, working to the linebacker. Um, you know, if he gets a piece of us, we're, we're doing our best to avoid it. Um, that's kind of how we're handling it on power read, you know. And we, have, we actually have two variations in how we do power read that have been pretty good for us. And I know some folks are reading linebackers and doing some different stuff. We're, we're a traditional, you know, we're going to read that defensive end, um, bypass him, and, you know, go from there. Now, are, are you guys going to do your power read stuff with an H a bunch? Um, are you doing it out of – you know, with a with a fullback that that arcs out with the uh, with the sweep. Are you guys doing it um, with a motion back or just with the tailback? How many different you know variations do you have with that? Because it's something that I think I'd like we'd like to put in just to kind of have, but also it's not something I want to spend a bunch of time on just because uh, I think that teams maybe that do it a, a ton um, it gets a little bit easier for the defense. I'd almost just rather it be something that we can hit a few times a game and, and keep the defense honest with some things. How often are you guys, you know, running it? And do you have a bunch of different ways to get into it? We do, you know, and I don't know how much we'll maybe run it with Felix, but we have run a lot of it in the past. Um, so we have two different, two different schemes that we go with it. Um, primarily what we go with is we hit, we'll hit, you know, we'll have a, a, a sniffer, um, and if we just do it with the with the tailback, we have two different ways where we can do it. And the first way we do it is we tell the sniffer he's arcing and he's looking first backer in the box to the safety. If that first backer in the box stays, you're going to safety or force outside. And um, when that's really good is like when you get – we see a lot of teams that want to spin off our sniffer. So if it keeps that mic tucked in the box – our guard will take him, and we'll bypass and get up on the safety. The second way we'll do it is where we'll just say, the sniffer, you have the first backer in the box no matter what. We're pulling for the second backer, and then that play side combo, they'll deuce out to the third backer, which is really probably a rockdown safety, and they can stay on that double team forever. Uh, we run that. I, I, that's my favorite way to do it because you can take that three technique and really when you, say, when you tell them to do some out of the box, a lot of times we don't even have to come out of that. Um, and we'll do that with some fly sweep stuff where the tailback will turn into the second lead blocker and, you know, we're bringing the receiver and unbalanced to fly motion or we'll do it out of a, a two-back split look and a sniffer on the line as well or, you know, behind the tackle um, where, again, that sniffer gets to go for the first backer in the box. And I, and I don't know what your rules are, but, like, I'm big on the tight ends cutting every chance they can get. You know, we're kind of playing for 6'2", 240, 250-pound guys. We're going we're gonna to cut literally every chance we get, whether it's split zone, power read. Um, even on zone insert, we will, we will let those guys cut to slow those linebackers down. Yes, I, I like that, and that's, that's something that, unfortunately, we don't get to cut much in, in Oklahoma unless it's on the line of scrimmage in high school. Um, but I love being able to let those H-backs 
you know, do a ton of different things. Um, is that, was that something that was tough and difficult for you when you first started working with tight ends, just all the thousand different things it seems like a coordinator wants to do with an H-back? I mean, if a lot of the, you know, a lot of different places are, are wanting to have a fullback and an inline tight end, and they're wanting them to go play receiver, and then they're wanting them to go, you know, do just about everything. Uh, was that a was that a difficult transition for you going from at least an offensive and defensive line? You know exactly where everyone's going to be. Now at the tight end, you got to learn pass game, run game, uh, where we line up, and, and any shifts and motions that you guys have. Yeah, it, it for sure was because you know with our guys. Um, you know, it was, you know, we used them in the run game in line. They were a sniffer. We would use them in pass protection. We'd flex them out wide. Um, and we had more guys that truthfully, like our guys were, like I said, we had, we just graduated three of them this year. They were all in that 6'2", 240, 250 range. Um, and then we had one who could flex out, and he was more of an old receiver that grew into a tight end. Um, you know, so sometimes it's hard just making sure you got the right personnel out there. And obviously you can't just sub in and out for, um, like, hey, you're – and even though it was in my mind, hey, you're the thumper and, hey, you're the pass catcher. Right. Kind of had to get them all ready for it. But, um, you know, we spent a lot of time, you know. I'm, you know, my focus as, a, as an O-line guy was always going to be on the run game. Um, but there was times in practice, too, where I would split. You know, I always had two that could – we could line up wide and do different stuff. I would split them and send them with the receivers coach um, just because there simply wasn't enough time in practice for me to coach at all. And some – like I had one kid who just graduated last year. He could care less if he ever caught a pass. He literally hated the idea of it. He wasn't bad at it. But all he wanted to do is he wanted to dig out power. He wanted to go cut the D end on split zone. Um, so, I mean, I think that's part of it with your staff. If you can, sometimes you're going to have to send those guys around to different folks just so they can, you know, but it took a lot of, it was more individual planning than what I was used to of like, Hey, this kid needs this, this kid needs that. This is what we can do together as a group. Is, is that something now as a, as a coordinator that you've got to have that, you know, written down on your call sheet somewhere? Uh, is that something that you just remember? How do you go about, processing that on on game night so we actually had this discussion this week we're gonna we did we would do some personnel packaging like hey 11 i want d 11 i want nigel you know where we would kind of we would talk about throughout the week like hey if i call this make sure we get this kid into the game um you know especially when we went 12 we would we would actually just have some different names for that personnel like where we'd have two bigs we'd have a big and a fast, or we'd have the two fast ones. Two fast ones didn't get used a whole lot. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we we spent a lot of time on just making sure, like, hey, these are the guys we want. And then a lot of times it was, you know, I don't care. Like, give me the best one available in the rotation. And we were pretty conscious about, like, hey, this kid is the pass catcher, but, hey, buddy, you're going to run some split zone. And, you know, we're going to do our best to keep you out of, you know, finding some ways so people couldn't just say, hey, you're – he's in the game. It's going to be a pass. Coach, you know, again, talking about your guys' staff, you know, a guy like Pat White as the, the QB coach, I would imagine that that has to help a lot when you're running a lot of, you know, option, read game, power read, you know, zone read with, you know, sniffer, arc, and, 
and bypass. And I mean, it, it's got to be nice to kind of have that in your back pocket, knowing you have probably one of the better, you know, option running QB shotgun dudes that, that really ever played. For sure. You know, and he, he did an awesome job with those guys. He's uh, he left us in January to go to South Florida. Um, but you know, he did a great job, especially in the option world when you're talking some of the gun option stuff of making sure we were pitching off the right guy um, and marrying it up with, you know, where we weren't, you know, those option guys, they do a tremendous job of understanding who they're pitching off and how we're blocking it. And we, you know, we were able to marry some of that stuff up where we had option rules for the receivers and they were blocking out there to let his big deal, you know, and I, I really thought it made a lot of sense is he wanted to know who he was pitching off of. Um, you know, which makes a lot of sense. I thought those kids could be more aggressive when we were running some some triple. You know, 2018, we ran a bunch of it, and it was really good, um, you know, in terms of when he knew who he was pitching off, I felt like he could be more aggressive, attack that guy. Um, but, yeah, obviously, you know, I remember watching him when I was – it was weird. You know, I was like, hey, I remember watching you on Thursday nights on ESPN. <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, Coach, the other thing I think that and, – and curious your, your insight on this, I think with option quarterbacks that what you normally think of is, you know, how much they have to process every play. Um, but, but now it's like a bunch of quarterbacks are, are some type of option quarterback. So if you guys are doing, you know, some type of an option read, any type of option read, he's got to do a lot of, you know, processing for that. Um, as soon as you run just a regular – you know, inside zone that would normally take it off of a quarterback. Now he's reading, you know, a safety for RPO or maybe two safeties for RPO, depending on, you know, if we're doing it to both sides. And then if he's in drop back or short game, he's, he's also reading and processing almost every snap. Is that something that you guys take into account? Is, is there certain plays that you try to, you know, give the quarterback off so he isn't processing the whole game? How do you guys go about, you know, keeping his not even you know not that they're you know obviously they they understand it but it just could be it seems like almost exhausting to be you know trying to interpret something that heavy uh, every single snap no that that's actually we spend a lot of time talking about that every week of like if we can take unnecessary stress off him let's take it off of him because we the, you're 100% right we're sitting there we're going through it and it's like he has to make a decision or read someone every play, it seems like. So we try. There's times where we just have no, – we'll come out there and we'll have just our normal run rules on. Um, like if we, if we know we're going to get – where it's not going to be a bunch of RPO, we'll just leave normal run rules on where he has a pre-snap throwing a hitch or a bubble. Um, you know, there, there's definitely some times where we're trying to take some off him because it, there is so much of, hey, I got, I got to read this, I got to do that. Um, and, you know, that's why, you know, I know some people flip protections and ask the quarterback to do that. We don't flip the protections. We feel like we can get most of it right with our rules or if he is going to be throwing hot. Um, you know, to me, some of the gap slide when you throw the deep choice lets him have a little bit of a break where he gets to read the boundary safety and then move to a side and throw. You know, um, but yeah, I think that's, you know, especially when you're looking at trying to get a kid going, um, you know, so is it, is it just, you know, when we were at Indiana, I felt like with coach Wilson, 
he was going to call a boot or a sprint out just to let him go high low somebody and just make it, you know, a very routine decision for the kid. Because um, I think you're right. I mean, you you can you can make that poor kid just stress thinking about stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yep. There's a bunch in it. Well, coach, kind of rolling up on an hour now, but before we cut you loose, the the uh, last question I always like to ask guys is. Uh, when you're watching another team's offensive line, what's some things they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach? Um, that's a good. That's a good question. Um, you know, the biggest thing is when you you feel like you see those guys working on the same page, like they're not cutting guys free. Um, the one thing I always like to look at, especially for zone teams, is seeing those steps in unison. Like I always think about watching Iowa's offensive line. And you see those guys when they're stepping and running their zone, it's in unison. Um, you see good hat placement. Um, you know, picking up picking up NCAA blitz to the man side is something that always gets me or a gut cross. Uh, those are things that always make me think, like, these guys are really on the same page. Um, a good twist pickup, you know, and seeing those guys pass that off, those are – that's another thing that where you just really feel like, you know, wow, those guys are on the same page. They're well coached. Um, those are just a couple of things that came to my mind right away. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it will allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.